This is Coda Radio, episode 466 for May 16th, 2022. Good looking and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week from his command bunker, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. On screen. Full magnification. Enhance. Enhance. I love that, and I always love when somebody, like, rings the doorbell. Enter. Enter. There are four lights. <sighs> Those were the days. Those were the days. Ah, man, oh man. So I might sound a little off. I might sound a little different. I am in Southern Oregon getting uh, my RV ready for another summer road trip. And we still had a few last suspension fixes from the last trip that had to get done. Ooh. So it's about 400 miles from the studio. Some about 400 miles south. And it's a totally different climate down here. It's so nice. Mid 70s, low 70s today. Sunshine. Oh, I forgot that stuff exists, man. You live up in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, it's just like gray clouds all the time. Not to complain about the weather on the show, but I legitimately feel like I'm in a better mood down here. It's nice. I know you wouldn't understand, Mr. Florida. I know. <laughs> I mean, you don't just hang out with snakes and alligators all day, like, chilling. Right. Meanwhile, you're blowing up my Twitter this week, working on Alice and uh, prepping her for open core and geeking out on Python. Like, I had a busy, I had a busy Twitter week. You even had a busier one. I know it's been it's been a hell of a week. I'm trying to figure out this whole open core, you know, GPL thing, and God, it's very complicated. I heard a new term uh, this last week. It was something like core open or something. Like they just flipped the term. Is that a new term or is that like string reverse but fancier? Yeah, that's... right. I'm just saying. Does that even count? I don't know. I was like, can they do that? Does that work? I don't uh, I don't know about that. Oh, man, we got so many messages about Microsoft Access last week. You know, we got it. I won't out them, but we got an email from a listener who this works. Be the one I was going to talk about. Yep, yep, yep. They work at Microsoft and they had to look up what Access was after listening to the show. How, <laughs> how does that make you feel? Well, you got to remember, too, at Access, not all Accesses are, are the same. It's just like a name. It's, uh, it's, it's, I'm going to, you know what? No, we've spent too much time discussing Microsoft Access on this show. One of the choice ones was 97 and uh, five writes in. Oh, God. He says, look, man, I needed to eat. But he writes, my role at a company in the past was converting Access 97 database apps to VB.net. Oh, for sure. Some of these applications had all of the data within an Access file, which, as you might know, does not do a one-to-one -one transfer to Microsoft SQL. Sometimes I would get lucky. And some of the data would already live in Microsoft SQL, but most of the code didn't translate well either. So I typically had to recreate the application from scratch. The team continued building Access applications while I was in the process of converting them. And Access 97 didn't use proper locking methods. And that was actually one of the reasons why the team didn't want to move to a new version of Access. It just kept kicking users out. They didn't want locking. Anyways, sometimes you just have to make your way through life, and sometimes you have to do shameful things to be able to eat. I now code like a gentleman with Python. Is Python the, the sort of, like, blue-blooded, uh, open doors for ladies and always tuck your shirt in language? I, I, I thought that was closure. It's the language It's the language you'd take home to your parents. Yeah, that and closure. Yeah. I see. So, so, so you, you have, like, a bender, a romantic bender for a couple of years at Objective-C. <laughs> 
Although Objective-C would be the cougar of languages. Oh, I was going to say Objective-C was the one that your grandparents brought home for dinner. <laughs> oh, I know. You know, this could get worse. The the the, the objective C is like I knew your dad. Yeah, exactly. Very well, in fact. Oh, oh, and then you realize your dad has a history that you never knew about. Yeah, we don't want to go there. I my don't... poor son. Uh, let's just keep. Yeah. My... <laughs> oh my god! All right, so Dan writes in, and he he says he's kind of tired of hearing about the podcasting two dot stuff. He means it with all due respect, and he does get value from the show. So he became a member to support the network um, a few months ago, and he's happy with that. But his really, really disliking the boost because he feels like they're ads. He says, I respect Chris, and I understand that you choose to evangelize this as an alternative to memberships, and that's fair enough. He says, I don't think it should be placed in the member's feed. I like paying for Netflix, and I get that adding uh, value for value is important. Sorry for the rant. It's met with respect. Oh, no, Dan, don't feel bad at all. I, th- I wanted to cover this. So Dan writes, and he's like, I'm tired of hearing about this. And I think I messed up. When I initially started talking about podcasting 2.0 and stuff like that, I just was so excited that I just ran my mouth, you know, just jumped in. The term that the community has over there is running with scissors. And uh, it is just that. Um, it is running with scissors for sure. But I probably messed up the pitch, right? Because, um, and I've decided what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of stop talking about it too much in the other shows. I'll still push it forward and talk about it from here or there. But office hours is really where that's going to be my outlet. To a degree, but I want to mention why I'm very excited about this, and then I'm going to just drop it on this show. We won't, I mean, we'll bring it up from time to time, but I won't bring it up every week. Podcasting 2.0 is more than just value for value and boost. It's an important part of it, but it is a spec. Here's a couple of the things that I really like about it that I think would be great for podcasting. Number one, transcripts. That's good for SEO and accessibility. Number two, chapters. We need a standard way of doing this. Number three, sound bites. Shareability of podcasts is very poor right now. YouTube crushes this. Seasons. Right now, we have like a proprietary way where Apple has created a tag. They've modified the RSS spec. Well, they've just added this tag. And other people have just sort of clumsily implemented it. And that's how we get seasons of podcasts right now. The spec has a standardized way to do this. Alternate enclosures. This is another really good one. One feed entry, multiple file types. Low bit rate, high bit rate, video, opus, all in one feed entry images, the ability to show the occasional image at the particular time in the show when we're talking about something could be nice. You wouldn't want to overuse it, but it's nice to have live. They have and are working on the ability for podcasting 2.0 apps to support live streams in your podcast app. So you open up your podcast app and in your list of shows, Coda Radio would be listed with a on air or live badge next to it. And you could just tap that and tune into Coda Radio live from your existing podcast app. I don't know why we've never had that. We clearly need that. Social Interact. This is a part of the spec that is a cross app, cross platform activity pub driven comment system. So you could have universal comments across apps and services for podcasts. And then the channel disclosure tag. This allows a podcaster to signal when perhaps there's going to be no more episodes released in a feed or other kinds of information about a feed that a podcast app could consume. And then lastly, amongst many other things that I haven't even gotten to are the value and the boosts. Podcasting 2.0 brings a range of features that podcasting has needed for a decade. And it does it in an open source, community-driven way, instead of Apple or Spotify coming up with proprietary RSS tag improvements that is there's no spec for, that developers just kind of clumsily implement. That's it. I'll talk more about this in office hours, because that's where I'm going to talk about a lot of our long-term strategy stuff. 
and answer questions and stuff like this. I plan for JB to go all in on podcasting 2.0. And so as people pick up new podcast apps, they're going to start to see new features show up. And Boos are one of them. And that was the one that I got the most excited about the quickest because it solves the monetization problem for both podcasts and free software. And it does it at a time when advertising is retracting, the economy is slowing, and this system is growing, right? So that's what I led with. But I, I think you'll see that stuff like the Podcasting 2.0 spec is necessary for podcasting to stay healthy and to compete with Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and others. But the good news is, for everybody who's sick of me talking about it in Coder, I'm going to try to keep most of this contained to office hours as time goes on. So there's that. And I understand, Dan. And mostly, the whole boost thing and all of the Podcasting 2.0 stuff is not meant to replace anything that exists now. So if you're listening to a podcast and you're listening to it in your favorite app and you don't plan to adopt any of this stuff, your experience won't change. That's the idea. All of this stuff is additional. It benefits. It supports. It boosts. It doesn't replace. That's the idea. It's hard to talk about, you know, because it's something I'm really excited about as a, as a project. But I understand the audience. It's like, a, it's like me talking about how we make the sausage, basically. We make it with hickory smoked pork. Wait, we weren't going to actually talk about sausage? No. Well, I mean... We could talk about sausage. I don't know. Do you get what I have you ever had this where you're like, you mean, I think this is what a lot of the show probably has been when it comes to the app store stuff. Too. So it's like, yeah, you recognize something that your industry needs to get their head out of their ass about. And you kind of need your audience or, you know, your customer base on board, too, because you need them to adopt these new features to create the demand. So that way other apps like AntennaPod and Overcast, they start adding these features, which they never will unless their users ask for them. So it's a real chicken and the egg problem. And so I have to be the jerk sticking his neck out there, pushing it forward, because otherwise we just sort of have a stalemate. Yeah. And more than that, it's I think about the App Store stuff from, you know, when I was bitching about it in 2012, 2013-ish. That case is what happens if it doesn't work, right? If the community does not kind of, you know, step up and say, hey, this is kind of messed up, you get monopolies. And I, I could see something very similar happening in podcasting in terms of monetization of podcasts, right? Yeah, and the and right now, any new thing that podcasts have gotten, like seasons or chapters, it's all just sort of been a ragtag implementation. Maybe like Apple created a tag or some Germans created a way you can cram something in like the ID3 information. And it's just sort of out of spec, but we all just do it that way. The SUSE developers created a new XML tag. <laughs> yeah, that's essentially what it is. And then we all, we basically just get enough people using it that it becomes the new standard. But there's no community input. There's nobody driving them, iterating them. The actual core podcasting spec for the RSS feed, as far as I know, I could have this wrong. But as far as I know, it hasn't been updated since 2009 in any official sort of standard way. What we've gotten since 2009 has mostly been whatever whatever Apple crams in there and then other people just kind of implement. I do get it. It is a tricky thing. And when you're a consumer of something, you have a different relationship with a problem than when you are in the industry working with it. So, and I blew the initial communication on it because I saw a much bigger problem when it comes to monetizing free software that I thought maybe we could address by building a network out around lightning, but it is what it is. I'm only human and I learn and I iterate. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account, and you go there to support the show. 
Linode is fast, reliable cloud hosting for developers. You gotta try it for your next project. It's what we've used for everything we've built in the last couple of years. And Linode's been rolling out upgrades. They're always rolling out upgrades. For as long as I've been a customer, it seems like they're always updating the infrastructure, keeping it super competitive. 11 data centers around the world, NVMe storage, AMD Epic processors, 40 gigabit connections coming into the machines. It's really high performance. And the UI is smooth, clean, easy to get going if you're a newbie or a pro. I'm talking like one-click deployments or like super custom rigs however you like to roll. And then they have the best support to back it up so you can feel safe and comfortable putting your important stuff on there. And go say hi to Linode at Kubicon EU if you're going to be there. They'll be there in Spain May 16th through the 20th. If you want to go say holler to the folks over at Linode, go find them over there and tell them that uh, the Coda Radio program sent you. So if you're a performance hound or if you like stability or if you like great support or a nice clean API that integrates with tools and libraries that you're already familiar with, Linode is a great option. You see, they've been doing this for over 19 years, or at least almost 19 years now. They're somewhere in that range. I used to say 18 years, but I realized that was a year ago because Linode's been great. They've been supporting the Coda Radio Show for a while because they get it. And they know that you guys out there are the perfect audience for something like this. So go try it for yourself. Go see. It's real. Go build something. Go test something. Go learn something and use it for your next project. You go to linode.com slash coder. That's where you go to get the $100 in 60-day credit and... It's how you support the show. Linode.com slash coder. So apparently we have a Heroku takedown, and I can't disagree with pretty much any of this. The piece is titled, Why Did Heroku Fail? If you don't remember, Heroku started what? 15 years ago? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. They did a whole rebuild in 2009, and then in 2010 they were sold to Salesforce for $212 million. And Heroku always had a pricing problem, in my opinion. And every time we've talked about it, that's always been one of the issues kind of underlying it is because they're running on top of EC2, their their run costs are high. And they were higher back then, of course. Right. Yeah, they've they've addressed some of that now. But, you know, you look at Heroku and you think to, to yourself, I mean, I could do this kind of on a Linode now. And I wonder if that isn't part of the problem is... They're just not as needed as they once were because now you've got a lot of options for deploying software anywhere you want and really abstracting it away. Yeah, I think there's a few things, right? It's, um, you know, for me, my introduction to Heroku was when I was first getting into Rails. And at the time, Heroku was very Rails-centric. Totally. And that, you know, it sounds silly and people, I know the hardcore... It, it You have to put yourself back then, right? There wasn't like docker hub where you could just pull random stuff that you need the the whole devops even on a small scale infrastructure just it was still pretty obnoxious heroku had that beautiful marketplace you want to add paper trail for logging for your app go ahead and here's a two thing two line thing you have to do to uh, the rails config to make it work oh and we're heroku so we do all the dns and all that for you so we we got you don't worry I kind of feel like the the pain point was when they correctly, because Rails' popularity, you, you know, it wasn't going to take them everywhere they needed to go in terms of just a market penetration. But once they went more generic and they tried to add other stacks, it really, it, it just made it worse, I think, in a lot of ways. And of course, the pricing, right? The dinos were expensive. And I think we'd be remiss if we don't mention just some of the... Uh, massive security breaches they just had yeah that definitely doesn't help with the whole publicity and and adoption i don't know i feel like also 
a lot of what made it so slick was what they took care of and GitHub Actions came along and a lot of CI pipelines that just sort of come out of the box came along and one-click deployments of entire applications became a lot more common and there just started to be one less reason after one less reason. I mean, they're still around, right? They're still going. I mean, they've made it 15 years. And so in some ways, maybe it's not a failure. But when you look at the adoption trend, when you look at where they're going, you look at their revenue, uh, it kind of looks like days are limited, especially now that they're owned by Salesforce. Like, are they really committed to just dumping more and more money in this thing to compete with AWS, Azure, Linode and and those guys? Oh, I don't I don't think they have to. I think Heroku is like, it's fine. Being owned by Salesforce, I would argue, is almost part of the problem, right? They didn't take bets they ought to have taken because, you know, you know how it is when a startup gets bought by a big company. You get a brain drain of the people who, oh, you want me to fill out some, like, compliance form because your HR has this policy? Oh, there's mandatory training? I mean, you've come on, you, you've, you've definitely seen this before. The inclination to take risks kind of just vaporizes, right? Because when you work in an organization like that, there's no one really who owns a particular initiative. So no one's no one's really on the line if something doesn't go through. And so that just sort of is a culture that prevents risk taking, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I definitely would argue that the your incentives flip from we need to stay ahead of the curve and be competitive to we need to be stable and avoid lawsuits. <laughs> right. Yeah. We've got people that are paying for this. Don't you know? <laughs> well, and, and, and like we're big enough now that, oh, maybe it is worth somebody actually suing us. So, you know, maybe it's the spring air here in Southern Oregon that I'm smelling the flowers bloom, or maybe it's that new fresh release candidate of TypeScript. Oh, look at that. The boy's got a new TypeScript. That's right. It's a beta release. Well, I guess it's a release candidate now, but it's close. It's not the final version, but it's really, it's nigh. I think probably the thing that they're at least the most excited about outwardly, this release also includes a new preview editor for the command go to source definition. I guess this can be helpful in cases where an ordinary go to definition command would take you to a declaration file instead of the actual JavaScript or TypeScript source, which is annoying. And it also seems like they're starting to target Node 16, even though they call it Node 12 in this release. That part I don't get, but... There's there's a weird Node versioning thing that's been going on for a while. But, I mean, overall, I, I don't want to complain. I don't, I'm not complaining. It's not my problem. I don't have to figure it out. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I write a fair amount of TypeScript. I mean, I find myself, because I'm, you know, crotchety, uh, falling back on, because TypeScript is a... A pure superset of JavaScript, so you can you know all JavaScript is valid TypeScript. Finding myself wanting to ignore some of the TypeScript stuff because I'm lazy and trust me, compiler, I do know what I'm doing, except I don't. But I just want to like hit F5 and have this work. Still, the the language, you know, the language is younger than the show. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think so. Wow. <laughs> It started off as syntactic sugar to JavaScript to do like soft uh, type annotation or not soft, but pretty, you know, it, it, to do typing. Right. It reminds me a lot of, uh, of frankly, the Python three stuff where, you know, they have the type hinting, but it's super weak and there's all kinds of weird cases in it. Well, TypeScript has just gone in and I know it's statically typed and all that goodness. You know, I'm not a TypeScript is the future of web development. Never, ever do pure JavaScript again kind of guy. But 
it's starting to look like a more robust language. I mean, it looks a hell of a lot like C Sharp these days. A lot of positive sentiment towards TypeScript out there these days. It's also the same guy who created C Sharp. They've earned um, a special spot. TypeScript 4.7 is nigh. We'll put a link in the show notes if you'd like to read more about it. We both had an interesting and perhaps underwhelmed takeaway from Google I.O., I thought. I noticed that uh, your top thing was Flutter 3 was announced. You know, Flutter is one of these projects that people keep telling me about, and I keep saying, oh, that looks really cool. Oh, it's made by Google. Waiting for it to die. Yeah. I'm just, like, waiting for it to to, to go. I mean, shall we say the names? Reader. Wave. We, I mean, we could do that. Yeah, I think what gives Flutter a fighting chance is that it is, I think, tied in with their overall Fuchsia initiatives, too. And they've been sticking with us. They, like, they've never really officially made a big stink about Fuchsia other than a few blog posts and, you know, put it on a few of their devices. It seems like Fuchsia is like this long-term Skunkworks project, probably ultimately to replace Linux. And Flutter is maybe important for the client side of that or for the front-end UI stuff. So I think, I think, I might be wrong, but I think Fuchsia and Dart have to die f- for Flutter to die. Maybe. They could kill Flutter without killing those things, so I might be wrong. I don't think Fuchsia's going anywhere. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, who, you never know. They're the most proto-Microsoft company out there these days. They are Microsoft of a different era with more money. And I actually felt like Google I.O. 2022 really put that on display. It really brought that home to me. It was a very cohesive Google I.O. It felt like it was put together by one team. Google I.O. usually feels very disparate, very disorganized, disjointed, like different fiefdoms create different parts of their keynote and then they go up there and present it to each other. Whereas this year, it felt cohesive. It felt like a singular, boring corporate message. And I'm kind of sad to see it. They needed to get there, but this must have been the most low-key, low-hype Google I.O. I've ever seen. And by my count, we got seven product announcements, and none of them are very interesting. This is a weak year. I agree with you that it was boring as hell, but should we just go through the the seven highlights? Sure, yeah. So off the bat, I th- this is actually my favorite one. Automatic summaries to Google Docs and chat. And I'm aware we don't call it Google Docs anymore. I don't think we do. Who knows? They change the name every week. That's kind of cool. Again, it's not super developer-centric. There's a new face lighting effect in Meet. Awesome. The more you can copy Apple, the better. Wallet on Wear OS. Wear OS. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe. I can't believe they didn't have that already. Yeah. Uh, Pixel Watch. Great. I guess. Pixel 6a and 7. I'm sorry. Pixel 6a, Pixel 7, and Pixel Pro. This one was weird to me because like they made such a fuss about the 6a coming out. And they, they've kind of immediately shot their own product in the face. Right. And this, they're not going to sell any of the Pixel 6s now that the 6, 6A and the 7 and the 7 Pro have been announced. Like, the, like they, they've they just killed all of their future sales. Uh, Google Pixel Tablet. This is a little interesting because I could see it in enterprise environments being like you want to run tablet software in your factory or you know produce production facility and you don't want to deal with Apple side learning problems. But again, there's no guarantee of what exactly that's going to be. And I like how you put this. 
Google AirPods. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say Samsung has had them. Bose has them, right? Sony. Sony has really good ones. It's 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 incredible that Google has just has no capability of recognizing that uh, the market already has this solved and that they have no shot. And then they just go for it. And then they get like, you know, 200,000 sales. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, this is really wild. Uh, also, I don't know if you caught this, but the Pixel Watch, it's going to be a round display. Yeah, that's yeah, that's I mean, all the Android Wear watches. It's nice. It's nice looking. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've had both Android Wear Circle, you know, circular watches, and I've had Android Wear Square watches, and the circular watches always are always cutting off parts of the UI. It never has really worked very well. So I'm pretty skeptical of the circular watch display. Obviously, Google has the opportunity here to customize the UI. The question is, will they, or will it just be like a top layer, and then you get down into the Wear OS, and it's UI elements are getting cut off. Also, I don't know if you noticed this. They promoted this like it's a benefit, but I think it's actually going to be a pain in the butt. They're integrating Fitbit with the watch, but you still have to maintain a separate Fitbit account. So you have your Google account you have to get on the watch, and you have to log into your Fitbit account on the watch to use them, even though Google owns Fitbit. Maybe it's a regulatory requirement. I don't know, but it just sounds messy. The tablet, the 7, the 7 Pro, and I believe the 6A, and I believe the AirPods, all just got kind of like, and the Pixel Watch, all just got like, you know, probably in the fall, in the future, we're going to release these products. Only one or two of these things they announced at Google I.O. are even going to ship probably before the end of the year. When have we seen this before? And a number of these are going to get canceled. And they're going to suck. And then there was the other aspect of this I.O., the entire I.O. that bugged me. And I, I think all companies do this, but they're really trying to position themselves as like this feel-good, warm we're doing this for the good of the people company, you know, that all big corporations are trying to do now. But it really felt over the top when at the very end of the keynote, it's not very classy, but they basically do a one more thing moment. You know, they ape Steve Jobs there for a second. Oh, we do have one more thing. And it was yet another, even further out in the future, absolutely no timeline product. We have no idea where this is coming. And they teased Google AR glasses. And I, I grabbed like a minute of the presentation. I just want to play it for you so you can get an idea of like the vibe they're trying to go for and the feelings they're trying to get you to feel. It all felt very manipulative. My mother speaks Mandarin and I speak English, which is a strange thing. We'd love to be able to share with you a new prototype we've been working on. You should be seeing what I'm saying just transcribed for you in real time, kind of like subtitles for the world. What we're working on is technology that enables us to break down language barriers. Taking years of research in Google Translate and bringing that to glasses. You see me? Oh, see, si, see si te veo. Oh, my God. I'm actually looking straight into your eyes, and it seems like you're looking right at me. Oh, si, si, estoy viendo lo que está diciendo para Making access to information just instant and intuitive. By doing that, technology fades into the background, and we're more connected with the people and the things around us.
Google wants you to know that they can out AR anybody. They are so into AR. Google VR, forget all about that. Google is so into AR. <laughs> and, and listen, when it comes to cheap, low-rent emotional manipulation, you've, you've seen Apple. Wait till you meet Google. I mean, it's... It's, uh, I would love to think that that demo was real. Yeah, they faked, they faked past demos. So, yeah. I wonder if we'll ever get these developer conferences to feel like developer conferences again, or if they're just always going to be consumer device pitches always now. So it's worse than that, right? They're consumer device pitches. And since COVID, they're, they're really like glossy you know, this is who we are, like identity opportunities for the marketing department. Yeah, yeah. And they really put it, they really gave it all in this one. They put it all in there. Uh, they packed it. And the only justification you could even claim that this is for developers is that in a remote roundabout way, it's giving developers a heads up about devices they're going to be able to build apps for possibly, but with no details, <laughs> you know, just vague recollection and idea. Maybe, right? Like, it's all maybe. Yeah. So... I mean, geez, I guess we've just maybe normalized it with Apple, but where it does seem a little bit different is Apple does seem to remember it is for developers and they do, even during the main keynote, which is for the press, they do drop more developer focused stuff in there about the API and about when that kit's going to be available. And that is at least useful. But the other thing is, and you put it really well, is what Google's doing there feels like low rent emotional manipulation and when Apple does it, it feels like they paid a Hollywood movie crew $10 million to make that five-minute video segment, you know, and it's just a, it's a whole different scale of manipulation. <laughs> it's luxury emotional manipulation. <laughs> Tailscale.com slash coder. Go there for a free personal account for up to 20 devices, and you go there to support the show. Tailscale is a zero-config VPN. It installs on any device in minutes. It'll manage your firewall rules, and it'll even work with those dreaded double NAT situations. It really works from anywhere. I literally have not found a place where it does not work yet. Devices connect directly to each other using WireGuard's noise protocol encryption. So you build a flat mesh network based around the best security in the business. WireGuard has changed the game, and Tailscale brings it to the people. You can easily and quickly create a secure network between your servers, computers, cloud instances, virtual machines, and so on. Even when you have firewalls and subnets and all that stuff between you, Tailscale makes it work. I've got it running everything from Arch servers on x86 boxes to Raspberry Pis running OpenSUSE and my iPad. I'm remote right now, and I have the ability to connect to all of my systems in the studio so I can continue all of my show production stuff, manage my mixer... Even remote live stream all through Tailscale. I'm doing it right now as I record this. It's so powerful. It's changed the way I work. I'll never go back. And by the way, in the most recent episode of Linux Unplugged, we featured a great in-depth conversation with one of the co-founders of Tailscale. And it gave me new insights into how Tailscale is sustainable and how it's built and set up differently than almost any tech company in the last decade. Really insightful conversation with Avery. So go check out the most recent Linux Unplugged because that was tops. We also talk about the new NVIDIA stuff in there. I love Tailscale. My connections are always on. I just now have bookmarks for all my different web dashboards and stuff that are on the Tailscale IP. So no matter where I'm at, 
I just use the same bookmarks in my web browser. It's so flawless. And you can try it for free for up to 20 machines. And they've built the service so that way that plan can last. Go check it out and support the show and give it a go. You go to tailscale.com slash coder. You'll thank me. Trust me, once you get this up and running, you will thank me. Try it out. Tailscale.com slash coder. It's official. Remote work has zero, absolutely zero negative impacts on your productivity, according to a research team from Texas A&M University School of Public Health. It's concluded in this study that employees and company resiliency is actually enhanced through remote work, and they published a statement last Friday. The study went beyond just assessing the productivity to examine the causes of workplace injuries, and they actually found that it was important for employees to take regular breaks, and if they work from home, workplace injuries drop dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> because they're not workplace injuries. <laughs> I know, but so, but what do you think of this? Their their study. I mean, I got to imagine you just disagree uh, up up and down. But their study says it zero negative impact on productivity. I feel like that statement has to be false. Just one anecdote, right? My own experience, and two, you know, it's such an absolute statement you know, zero, all, right? No, I, I, I don't agree. I mean, I, I'm, I've come to terms with the realities of remote work now. It's funny, I was an early proponent. I think as were you, right? And then as everybody did it, I realized one of the things I liked about it was that it was a nice perk to have in the hiring process. And now that it's not, it's like, ugh, what a pain in the butt. Yeah, it, it does have its drawbacks. They say, though, that in the study... Almost all of the employees were right back up to the same level of output as they were during or before Hurricane Harvey. That's when they were checking this. And they say the huge message for employers right now is employees should be able to work remotely or they should be able to work in a hybrid schedule because the productivity gains are definitely there. And I, I was thinking about this and wondering, well, if, they, if Texas A&M actually studied this, what were they finding? And I think they were finding that there is indeed some work that is better from home. I've done a little bit of a study myself. I have a little bit of empirical data. And it's it's as simple as this. I have taken this RV that I'm sitting in right now, and I have parked it right next to buildings that I have worked out of. And I did this a lot at Linux Academy. And there were definitely times where I would step outside my RV, and I would walk five minutes into the building, key card in, go into an office, and I would have meetings, and I would do work there in the office. And then... There were other times in the day where I'd walk outside the building and I'd walk into the RV and I'd do a totally different kind of work in the RV, like like uh, phone calls and emails and show prep. I did better in the RV, but in office, I did better when I was working on the new art and logo designs with people there. I had a better I had better interactions at the meeting tables with people and then we would go to lunch together and that kind of stuff. And so for me, I really found benefits in both. But I realize that large companies, they have a hard time with these nuances, and Apple is one of them. And they've really laid down the law and said, you're coming back to work. And as a result, their director of machine learning has resigned, and he says it's due to the return to office policy. I just want to say, even I think this is a huge fork up on Apple's part. Massive. Massive. Like, somebody of that caliber, it's not just a random dev that's going to be, like, slinging C-sharp or Python or whatever. This It was a big win for them when they got this dude, right? They, they were crowing about it yeah ian goodfellow yeah so he's supposedly the guy who created gan which is generative adversarial network which is a 
huge innovation in the field of deep learning and machine learning. You know, the whole adversarial network idea is sort of key. He created it. Apple swooped him up. It was a big deal. I think he was born in the late 80s. So, you know, he's in his 30s and he's immensely hireable. And he wrote in his uh, resignation email, quote, I believe strongly that more flexibility would have been the best policy for my team. And he's out. Microsoft and basically every other tech company, like my homie. Yeah. <laughs> Come over here. <laughs> You'll, you can work remote for us, right? Have you considered calling it Cortana? Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> there is a bit of an irony. Fig Jam on Twitter pointed this out to us. He says, these tech companies have created all of this hardware and software to connect people and enable them to collaborate and create from all over the world, but yet they can't use these tools themselves. What happened to eating your own dog food? And I think Fig Jam has a point. If anybody should be able to make remote work work, shouldn't it be Apple? Shouldn't it be these companies like Facebook and Microsoft that are telling all these employees to come back? I mean, Microsoft created Teams or at least, you know, adopted I know we keep hitting this pretty hard almost every couple of weeks. The reality is for small businesses, I think remote work is going to be a fact of life, especially in the tech field, because it's too hard to be competitive without it now. I can see why, especially a company like Apple, would be pretty aggressively trying to bring people back. See, I'm wondering if the reason I used to think it worked better was because it wasn't forced on me, right? And it was a, like a perk I could give. People were enthusiastic about it. They'd really go all in. Now that it's like something that basically is expected. The power dynamic has changed. It goes from something that you can grant at, at for, for periods of time, but still have control over to now something that they're expecting of you. And you're trying to claw back a little bit of that control. I, I wouldn't even know if it's really a power dynamic. It's more, you know, I found that people were so excited to work from home that they would really like put in the extra mile and be super communicative. And I'm just, you know, I'm interviewing people and it's like, of course, it's work from home like everybody just expects it now it's not it's not as it's not as much of a deal sealer i guess hmm. well all right i think the reason why i wanted to bring it up is because of goodwin uh quitting apple over it and you know how these companies are so about their machine learning and all of their products being improved with it and now goodfellows out it seems like if apple wasn't willing to bend for them they're probably not going to bend for anybody on this and I thought FigChan made a good point. All right, so let's. Uh, you mentioned a book this week in our Slack chat called Python Distilled. Yeah. For the gentlemen and gentle ladies out there looking to do a little Python. For any snake charmers or prospective snake charmers, it's pretty good. You know, it has that um, that kind of few intro chapters that are you know you're probably going to skip if you've done any real development. Uh, but if not, that's cool too. But I I like the perspective. The guy's name is Beasley. I hope I'm not butchering it. David Beasley. He takes a very practical, very, this is a feature of Python you could use. It's starting with, I think, 3.8, if I'm not mistaken. So like modern Python. And these are real world problems where this makes sense. Great pick. We'll put a link to that at coder.show slash, what is this, 466? Yeah. 666 or 466. Ah, I know. Well, you know, but it does mean we've rounded the corner to 500. You realize. Oh, my God. I know. What do you even do for 500? What do you even do? convert the show into a next themed show and a video show right all youtube all the time we can switch from boost to super chats that'd be great no we go on twitch <laughs> yeah ask ask everybody to become members or whatever it is over there wait can't we just like dance and go on tiktok yeah or you know i think if you just stand in a in a pool you can wear a bathing suit and it's it's legit i don't think that works for us oh maybe not and what if your hair gets wet yeah it doesn't look as good 
it bounces back quick, but while it's wet, it doesn't look so good. Oh, well, naturally, of course. I mean, I, uh... you know what I've discovered traveling again is it really is the greatest gift when it comes to my email because I get so much damn email. And so I can just tell people, oh, sorry, I'm traveling. I'm a little slow on my email right now, even though I'm always slow on my email. Right. I'm always slow on my email. But now I have a reason for it. And it feels like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. <laughs> you know? I don't on the lamb from your email yeah. i mean what the f- i think you well i think you forget what it's like to travel like this is a nice aspect of traveling is like oh yeah no i'm sorry i'm totally behind on that and it's true i am i'm not lying but i at least feel like clearly the rest of the world is is better at two life skills than i am and one of them is committing to anything beyond three days because my friends and family ask me to commit to stuff two three weeks ahead of time I know I hate that. Oh, it is honestly a struggle. I really don't understand how the rest of humanity has any idea what they're doing in two weeks. It just it doesn't make any sense. And I I constantly am in that trap and I struggle and I say yes and then I regret it and it's the worst. And the other thing, the number two thing that I think humanity on a whole does better than me is getting back to their email. I, turns out, am the only person in the world who doesn't like just getting jobs dropped in my inbox with totally just arbitrary expectations of how fast I'm going to read, how fast I'm going to respond, and how fast I'm going to take action on their question that they asked me to do in the email. And see, in my world, I see, and this is where I'm so wrong, because it's only me that thinks this way. In my world, I think I'm going to get to that on my terms when I have time to read my email. And if they're asking me to do something, I'm going to do that when I have time to do it, which might not be for a couple of days. But you see, the rest of the world, that's not how they think. They think, I have sent this thing to Chris. It requires action on his part. I imagine he'll get it back to me in the next couple of hours. And then if a day or so goes by and I haven't gotten back to them, I then, and this happens all the time, I get another email asking, hey, hey, I'm just following up. Didn't hear back from you. And so by the time I often get to my email, I can have two or three like, hey, um, I really need this done. Or, hey, I was wondering. And it's like, you know been maybe three or four days since I saw their last email. And I'm the only person that's a problem with because clearly everybody else does fine with that. Otherwise, people would stop it. And those two things, I feel like when I'm traveling, I'm off the hook on. Like, I, it's okay that I can't tell you where I'm going to be or if I can do something in a week because, you know what, I'm traveling. And so I'll just have to get back to you when I get back. And you know what? Sorry, I didn't take action on that and get that back to you within, you know, three hours. I'm traveling and yesterday was a 10 hour drive day. And so I just didn't check my email. And like I have actual reasons and I feel like I'm not a failure. Email is a source of constant stress and anxiety for me. And I go through periods where it's better and I go through periods where it's worse. And right now I'm going through one of the worst periods where it's just it's too much. And if I could do it over again, I would ask for I would ask for a system where I can just not accept emails for a while. Like, sorry, uh, for the next three days, Chris is not accepting new emails. Please try again when he arrives back. Why haven't we built that? And out of office is not enough. I, I, I don't know. I was crying. Um, <laughs> I, I think we just can't have it, right? We can't have nice things, can we? No. That's why, that's why I like Boost. Boost to Gray. Freak boosted in right as we were starting the show, actually, with uh, 10,000 sats. He says Star Trek Picard season two has its cringe, but at the end with Q, it was very much Anne Rind meets Breaking Bad, but in a good way. I, I don't know what that means, but I was I was satisfied with the ending. I don't think we got to spoil it. Did you watch the end of Picard? 
I did not, so I, I lack the competence to answer this. They tied up a lot of the loose ends better than they do in most new Trek shows. So, have you started Strange New Worlds? No. I think it's the best. I'm watching the original series. I'm on season. I went back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what we did, too. I think Strange New Worlds may have its issues, but I think it's the best of the new batch so far. Um, It's worth it. Yeah, I, I think it's probably worth it. Boost. Dave Jones boosted in with uh, 1,000 sats. Uh, he says, oh, I know of Microsoft Access. We actually have a secretary who insists on keeping her own version of our entire customer database in an Access database. So she just types it all in there and keeps it updated by hand. <laughs> Samuel Blair also boosted in with 500 sats. I know about Microsoft Access. I wasn't born yesterday. And then the Golden Dragon came in with a row of ducks. That's uh, 2,222 sats. He said, did I hear Access? <laughs> I tried learning that eons ago. My mother-in-law is an Access ninja mm. where she works. It's a huge part of what they do even today, thanks for the shows. That's the general theme, is we were right. Access is still in use. I feel like there was a hard age line on the feedback we got on Access, though. I was going to say that, too. Yeah. And did you notice the boosters seem to know what Access is, but the emailers didn't? Which, who knows what that's about, but I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, but, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, Boost is so new, I don't know if that's... Yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. We got another one by Dave. Ew. He says, you guys are dead on. Does look like the overall macro market is about to hurt a lot of folks. That's why I need a Bitcoin dad robe to properly ride this ship down. You know, I mentioned the Bitcoin dad pod, but you know what? The, like the Friday or something before the recent downturn in the market, we totally called the Luna crash and why it was going to go down, why, it, why Terra would depeg and why the rest of the market would tumble. Just saying, just saying. Totally nailed it. Is that a new JB show? No, it is a show a friend of mine is doing, and I am happily just taking on the co-host role for once. Cool, cool. Yeah. So I just get to sit back and, uh, you know, pontificate. It's it's actually, it's, it's really I can great. tell you, I like to pontificate even by myself. <laughs> <laughs> boost. Lurks a lot, writes in, as always, with Elite Boost, 1337 sats. Nice. I'm a Linux FOSS enthusiast and an IT veteran. Uh, but I don't consider myself a coder. I do listen to all the JB shows, and I'm a supporter on Patreon, but I love being able to boost. So here you go. Pew, pew, pew. Pew! Uh, now, the user boosted in, asking us if we have any thoughts on, I think it's... Tari? Tari. Tari. Okay. Somebody else emailed me, and I'm pretty suspicious that you're the same dude. Not yet. I haven't gotten to get my hands around it. It's basically a alternative to Electron, but very similar high-level idea. And you're missing one important part. Oh, I, I didn't miss it. I ignored it, but go ahead. <laughs> it's got rust. Yeah, so the idea is you kind of use whatever you want on the front end, but the core is built with rust. Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. Oh, Node? Nope. Oh, what? You missed it. What? We've, he has a special request, a shout-out to Egon. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Egon gets the shout-out. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> that's so great um we also got some thank you bows from Cospilan from freak he was just streaming dim sats as he listened and we got a bonus thank you boost from dave jones and dave i'm glad you're back listening again i hope that means everybody is doing well at home now and you're getting caught up on your podcast a shout out to dave because he was our triple booster this week what? and we uh we appreciate that dave glad you're glad to have you back can i tease something yeah so 
coding challenges are coming back in a weird form. I love it. I bought a book, bought my own money. There's no like weird corrupt, you know, crap going on here called the <laughs> Python workout. I'll find a link. It's from uh, Manning press and it's 50 Python assignments starting from easy to pay me. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to put up a GitHub thingamajig. And I'm hoping to have the first one for next week. You say Python workout? I think I got a link to that. I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. It's got like a dude with like no shirt on on the cover. Right. It's That's not you? I wish. <laughs> it's got weird. All right. Yeah. Link is now officially in the show notes. And I'll also drop it in the chat room if you're uh, watching live. Because, you know, we do this here show on the Mondays. At noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and you can hang out in our chat room. Yep, that that handsomely tattooed man is me, yes. Nicely done, sir. Oh, my goodness. I like how he has tattoos that enhance his muscles. I I like the craftily placed robes, shall we say. Yeah. Boy, if that thing was off by even an inch, it'd be a totally different book. (laughs) Let's just say. (laughs) It would probably sell better, too, let's be honest. (laughs) All right. Thank you to our members at CoderQA.co. You're going to get a Coderly soon. You join that, you get access to the show with no ads, and you get the Coderly report. And um, it's a way to say, you know, thank you. And it's a way for us to say thank you, too, by giving you a few perks. It's a nice little setup. And you can support the entire network and get access to all of the shows and all of their perks by going to Jupiter.party. So for this here show, CoderQA.co. And for the whole network, Jupiter.party. And of course, if you want to do a one-off, you can just send us a boost with a message, which we always appreciate. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the people before we wrap it up for Morgan? Uh, if you go to tmb.inc, that's .inc slash careers, we are hiring. Very good. Very good. We should put a link to that in the show notes, too. We should. Just to make it easy for the peoples. Uh, let's see. If you want to get a hold of me, uh, you can do it on Matrix. We do have a Coda Radio feedback uh, channel over there and a general chat. Shout out to the Matrix folks listening live right now. And, of course, I'm on Twitter at Chris LAS, and the whole podcast is at Coda Radio Show, and the network, to get network announcements, is at Jupiter Signal. And, you know, I'll give you a little hot tip before we wrap up. Even if you don't want to use the Twitter, but you still want to see what people are posting about and kind of use it as a news feed, check out Knitter. N-I-T-T-E-R dot net. It's a way you can just plug in a username, like, you know, at Coda Radio Show. And you can get a nice, clean feed of everything that account is uh, going on about without having to go to the dumpster fire that is actually Twitter. Well, that's a stalker's paradise right there. It is, but it's also just a nice way to... <laughs> I see you going to it right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, <laughs> That's so funny. Knitter is just a nice way to consume content that people post there because you just can't get away from it. You know, people put stuff on Twitter and... I don't know why Taylor Swift blocked me. That's all I'm saying. No, who could who could guess? Nobody could probably even take a guess as, as to why. Uh, so I'll put a link to Knitter in the show notes too. Again, those are at coder.show slash 466. They're always just the episode number. And, um, you know, you can grab a link to that. And that way you don't have to do the Twitter thing Huzzah. if you don't want to. Exactly. Huzzah. Last but not least, I will mention we are live again. Come join us over at jblive.tv on a Monday. It gets converted to your time zone at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Feedback, your opinions, your thoughts, your ideas, huge part of the show. Go to coder.show slash contact to send that information in, to give us your thoughts, your ideas, your topics. And of course, you can always send us a boost with a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Coder Radio program. And we'll see you right back here next week.